Anybody here ever seen a real live Tasmanian devil? Let's see if we can have a picture. Have you ever seen a real live Tasmanian devil? Okay. Um, in January 2006, Australian scientists discovered the cause of a mysterious disease that killed thousands and thousands of Tasmanian devils on the island state of Tasmania. According to Fox News, scientists initially believed the deaths were caused by a virus. However, research ultimately uncovered a rare, fatal cancer, and it was named Devil Facial Tumor Disease. I think we have a picture of that. Yeah, that's bad. The amazing discovery was that the abnormalities in the chromosomes of the cancer cells were the same in every tumor and in every animal. So what was the meaning of the rare discovery? The, de- the disease began in the mouth of one single devil. And uh, that, that animal spread it uh, one to another by biting and wounding its neighbors. And that's just normal behavior for a Tasmanian devil. Uh, They fight and squabble over food, and they bite each other, and it's typically biting each other on the mouth. And uh, in just a few years, this behavior wiped out 60% of the population. So what does that have to do with the book of James? The apostle James understood the nature of the Tasmanian problem in the spiritual realm. The Apostle James understood that sometimes those who call themselves Christians uh, wound their friends and their families and their neighbors with biting words that spread a spiritual cancer. This kind of cancer spreads because Christians cannot bridle their tongues or control their speech. That's what we're going to talk about in James chapter 4. And uh, if you want a Bible this morning... um, We're going to be on page 838, and we have Bibles. uh, Ushers have some in the back. If you need one, just slip up your hand. We'd be glad to hand out one of our paperback bridge Bibles. And that's the page number 838 if you're in the bridge. James chapter 4. Let's look at verses 11 and 12. James chapter 4. And the Apostle James writes these words. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, and the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? And so uh, the Apostle James has some things to say about our speech. And if you recall, that's a pretty prominent feature in the book of James. James chapter 1, James chapter 2, James chapter 3, James chapter 4 all have something to do with the words that we speak. First of all, he says, um, so be careful about judging your neighbor if you're following on your outline. Be careful about judging your neighbor and make sure you are not guilty of slander. We find that in verse 8. Verse 8, make sure you're not guilty of slander. He says, brothers. So 
He's talking to the family, the church family. He's talking to believers. He's talking to people who call themselves Christians. Slander is to speak falsely about someone, to speak about someone inaccurately. James' idea of slander here, the word for slander, includes a broader sense. It means to also to speak ill of one another, to speak poorly of one another, to discredit their reputation. So, for example, by application here, if you know somebody's weaknesses, if you know of somebody's failures, if you know of somebody's sins, does that necessarily mean you need to tell other people about that? There's sort of an American thing about once you have information, there's nothing wrong with passing information as long as you think it's true, right? And James is saying, "Uh uh-uh, too much, too much information. Um, Is there a place to be discreet about what you know? Absolutely. You know, sometimes we pass information without thinking Because we compare ourselves, sometimes it makes us feel better to spread information that makes somebody else look sort of inferior to us, or like, you know, they've made mistakes and I haven't made the mistakes. Um, And James says, don't do it. In verse 11, uh, also, understand the problem of criticizing others. Understand the problem of criticizing others. James writes, anyone who speaks against his brother judges him, speaks against the law, and judges it. And when you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. One of the things I think by the nature of Christianity is it's easy to pass judgment on other situations and other people and events because we are trained in thinking about what, what, what is right and what is wrong. What are right choices? What are wrong choices? You know, you have to discern. You have to think critically to be wise in making decisions, right? And, and you learn, well, this is what Scripture means by what is right. And this is what Scripture means by what is wrong. And so we come into this category as critical thinkers. And being a critical thinker is good. God is a critical thinker. God is a God of justice. We also have a tremendous sense of justice, don't we? How about kids? Kids, they know what's right and what's wrong and what's fair and what's not fair. That's not fair. You get on your side. That's my side. That's my food. That's, those are my toys. We have a tremendous sense of what's fair, what's just, what's right. And so it's just so easy to look at people and look at situations and tell them what's right and what's wrong and even to talk about what's right and what's wrong because it's just easy to think that way because we're Christians. We have a tremendous amount of information and we have a very strong ethic and a theology that backs this whole concept of being right and wrong. And James says, anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. See, the danger is, is setting yourself up to have somebody else's job. The danger is taking the job description that belongs to God. Okay? There's a danger there that you self-appoint yourself to evaluate others. Okay? 
Jesus shared this idea in Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5. Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Okay, you can judge, but you're going to be judged. You too will be judged. You will face a judge too. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. So if you're fair, God will be fair. If you're not fair, God will show you're being a hypocrite. Uh, you will be judged with this, the measure you used it. It will be measured to you. Next, next slide. Uh, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You know, in comparison, you're pointing out the faults of another person, the weaknesses, their mistakes, their sin. What about you? You need to make sure everything's okay with you, that everything's okay between you and God. Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your eye? You know, this picture, it's a great picture, you know, to get our attention. This idea of a plank coming out of our eye instead of having a little tiny speck. Um, You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to remove. Then you will be able to help somebody else. When When you got your act together, you're walking with God, there's no unconfessed sin in your life, then you'll, you'll be able to evaluate more carefully. Then, perhaps, you may be ready to help out. Um, so, um, Jesus warns us, James warns us, there is a danger uh, in being a judge and judging other people and becoming a hypocrite. Uh, and we are to evaluate our own lives carefully, first and foremost. And be careful not to do God's job. Don't take on God's job too quickly. So, is there a place when we are responsible to evaluate others in the body of Christ? Is there a place that we have to make judgment calls in the body of Christ, in the church? And the answer is yes. But don't be a self-appointed judge and judge other people. God is the judge. God has delegated some justice to the church, some justice to his people. Be very careful when you get involved in that. For example, Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, is an example. Galatians 6. Do we have Galatians 6? There we go. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. So here is a command to the church, to people in the church, to you who are spiritual. And he's expecting that means you're walking with Christ. And if you are aware of somebody who was caught in a sin, help them out. Restore him gently. It's not being judgmental. It's not sitting up and telling everybody what's wrong with the world and what's wrong with them and what's wrong with their lives. And the word picture here is to restore as a surgeon resets a broken bone. 
gently. That's how you deal with people. This is not passing judgment. This is helping restore them to, to life, to spiritual, thriving spiritual life. That's the goal here. Now there's a place um, when God delegates a kind of judgment to people, to the body of Christ. Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus, who just said not to judge one another, says this. If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault. Just between the two of you. Now this, this would change the course of Christianity if we did this. Just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you've won your brother over. Now what's the deal here? If somebody sins against you, don't go share it with your friends. Don't make it a prayer request for your group. Go to the person who has offended you and speak to them just between the two of you. That's it. No slander. Don't destroy the person's reputation. Seek the resolution right there. Yeah, there's a place where you have to use your critical thinking skills to build up the body of Christ and to help out. And that takes faith to go to another person out of love and point out that they need to make a change, that they perhaps are in sin and it dishonors God. It takes faith to walk into that. But it's just between the two of you. And what happens is we have triangulation and we begin to spread this and it's like a cancer that starts spreading. Rumors and gossip it's so hurtful to the church. So hurtful. And verse 12, remember, there's only one chief critic. And James, and, and let me just go back and, and back to and, t- and talk about um, James 4.11. Just the idea, the danger is when we, we set ourselves up as the judge of the law and we become the judge. We become a self-appointed judge And we need to be under the law and under the one who gives the law. That's what James is talking about here. The danger is we become, hey, I don't like this about you. And did you notice this? And that's silly. And you're really dumb over here. And I don't like the way you're dressed. And you're not cool. We have all these opinions. James says, don't do it. So verse 12, remember, there is only one chief critic. There's only one lawgiver and judge and the one who's able to save and destroy you. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? So, warning, don't judge your neighbor. Stop comparing yourselves with others. This is what we do. We begin to, how do I stack up here? Who's cool? Who's not cool? Who has cool hairdos? Who has the most money? Who gets the best grades? How do I stack up here? And we, we compare ourselves with each other. Who has the nicest house? Uh, who has the best job? Who has the best looks? Who has, makes enough money? Uh, and the problem is, whose standards are you operating with anyway? And how do they fit, when we compare ourselves, how do they fit with God's standards? You know, it's about the lawgiver. We, we are to submit to one, and he has the standards, and he's the appropriate evaluator, the chief evaluator. And uh, it, we, it becomes very dangerous when we begin to compare ourselves, evaluate. 
And so, you know, just a practical question. Do you find yourself criticizing others just to make you yourself feel good? Because you're doing better than somebody else in your mind. And if I may, let me step on some toes here. Uh, You may have a right as an American to criticize your president, Democratic, or your governor, Republican. What does God say about that? Do you have a right as a Christian to do that? Yes, you can vote. Yes, you can have opinion. You can speak your opinion. Be careful how you do it. Be careful. Be humble when you speak. Um, Secondly, on your outline, verses 13 through 17, be careful about prideful speech. Be careful about prideful speech. And verses 13 through 15, James talks about the problem of making plans without God. And James would say, this is wisdom of the world, verse 13. This is how the world operates. Now, James has already talked about this in James 3, 13 through 18. And he just keeps coming back to some of these themes throughout the book. Verse 13, uh, wisdom of the world Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Sounds good, doesn't it? Have a plan? Have a business plan? Go for profit? Provide for your family? It's all good, right? You know what? God is not against planning, and God is not against you making money. But where's God in this? Um, Proverbs 27.1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you don't know what a day may bring forth. The problem for James is the attitude about speaking without thinking and speaking without how God fits into the equation of your life. Uh, It's sort of a functional or practical atheist. I can do this. I'm going to do this. I'm going to accomplish this. I'm going to get an A in this class. I'm going to graduate. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to do this. That's kind of a practical atheism. If you operate that way, you say it and you do it. Make decisions without thinking or praying. Um, James says in verse 15, um, excuse me, verse 14 and 15, wisdom from heaven. Verse 14, he says, why? Do you not even know what will happen tomorrow? What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while, then vanishes. Um, The problem is, James says, sometimes we just forget who we are. Sometimes we think we're somebody really important, and we like like God's job running the universe, and we, we want to pull the strings. Uh, James says we forget who we are. We forget who God is. We, we forget about the almighty God, the sovereign Lord of the universe. And we operate as if he doesn't matter or he doesn't exist. Instead, verse 15, you ought to say, if it's the Lord's will, we will live and do this 
or do that. Now, sometimes Christians get the idea that what they have to do is tack on that phrase, if it's the Lord's will, as if once you say that, everything's okay. I don't think you, that there's, that's not a magical saying, by the way. And I don't think you need to say it every time you open your mouth either. But you really need to be there with your attitude about who God is and who you are. And there's really uh, nothing important that's going to happen today or tomorrow apart from him. Um, it's meant to be an attitude of humility before God. It enables us, uh, it acknowledges that God enables us to live and move and have our being. If you have good health, it's because God has enabled you. If you have a job, it's because God has enabled you. If you are able to be in school, it is because God has enabled you. If you're able to do really well in your schoolwork, it is because God enables you. It could all go away tomorrow. Do you understand who God is? Um, if, if your business is successful, if you make a profit, if your investments are doing well, God is the one who's enabled you to do that. Is there a place for planning and goal setting for your business and your life? Absolutely. Book of Proverbs, Proverbs 16, verse 1, reminds us, to man belongs the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the reply of the tongue. A man can make plans. That, that's a human perspective. But a person who is walking with God and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, that's where the appropriate reply for your speech is. Um, to a man... Go back to verse 1. To a man belongs the plans of the heart. Planning is good. But if you want the best plans, submit them to the Lord. If you want your speech to honor God in your planning, submit your plans to the Lord. Verse 3, Proverbs 16, 3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. It's about bringing your plans. You can use the mind that God gave you. Use the wisdom that you have in planning for the future. But bring those under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And say, God, this, this seems good to me, but I want to submit my plans to you. And I understand that you can step in and do whatever you want. Because you are God. You are Lord. And... Uh, I'm going to be watching for how you want to work this out. But here are my plans. I want to walk forward and do this if you're with me. And it's about submitting your plans to God. Proverbs 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. And when you think about your plans and you want to submit your plans to God... Do your plans fit with who God is? Are they consistent with the character of God? You know, like sleeping with your boyfriend, praying that God will make it possible for you to sleep with your boyfriend when you're not married? That's probably not going to work, you know? It doesn't fit with who God is. So does it fit with Scripture? Do your plans, are they under the authority of the Scripture? 
Many are the plans in man's heart, but it's the Lord's purpose that prevails. When you think of God's primary purpose on earth, what is it? Why are you here? For me, as I understand the Bible, it's to go and make disciples of all nations. And the way I like to say it is helping people connect with God and developing them into fully devoted followers of Christ. Boy, if I want to make plans, how do they fit? And when I find that my plans are under God's purposes, things work way much better than if I'm out here trying to build my own kingdom and advance my own things that I want. But am I trying to advance his kingdom? And then the problem of boasting, uh, verse 16. James says, as it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. James reminds us that making plans apart from God is not just impolite or in poor taste. He says it's sin. Sometimes we forget, and sometimes this is just a good reminder. Okay, I, yeah, I, w- I don't want to go off in this direction without God. Or, yeah, I was planning to do this, but I think I better come back and ask how this fits with God and just sort of, Lord, is this okay? Are you with me? Am I with you? I want to be on your team. I want to move forward with you. Uh, it's, it's as simple as uh, Jesus being the vine and we are the branches. And as we remain in him, we're going to bear fruit. Problem is, is when we sort of disconnect from the vine, we start to boast or to brag about us and about our stuff and what we've accomplished. And then the problem of procrastination in verse 17 James says, anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, what? Oh, right, I heard that. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This goes right to the heart. He says, if you know the right thing to do. You ever had those promptings from God where, think, uh, this may be what God wants me to do. I see that need. Should I do something? I could do something. Oh, I don't know. It's kind of radical. If you know the right thing to do and you don't do it, James says, you sin. So just a question here. Think about this. What has God laid on your heart? A need, perhaps. Something you should do. A course of action you should take. He's prompted you with it. Maybe you weren't sure about it. Is it the right thing for you to do? If it is, you should do it. Do it. Um, It might be giving money to support a cause uh, that you're not now doing. And maybe God's prompted you in this. Maybe it's as simple as putting a bridle on your mouth so you can't spread cancer. You know, sometimes we talk too much. Maybe it's uh, we should stop uh, misusing our computers and downloading things that we shouldn't download. Maybe it's getting involved to serve in a ministry or a ministry opportunity. Maybe it's about going back and making a situation right where there's been a wrong. Maybe it's going to someone and saying you're sorry or reconciling in a relationship. 
Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do, he doesn't do it, sins. It's pretty much what James started with in chapter 1, verse 22, where he said, Do not, do you have 122? I'll read it to you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Problem is sitting and listening to sermons, getting good ideas and walking out, nothing happens. So don't be a hearer only, but be a doer of the word. This is James's message throughout the t- entire book. So what's a simple RX to walk away with this morning? It's Thursday. Most of you, a lot of you get paid to take a day to worship God, Right? A lot of you will. You're going to close the schools so you can worship God. Thanksgiving, that's worship. It's when you tell God you are thankful for what he's done for you, for who he is, for what he's done. Giving thanks. And I don't mean just Thursday, you know that. But what I'm saying is, think about the discipline of cultivating a thankful heart. It reminds us of who God is and who we are. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my health. Thank you, God, for my kids. Thank you, God, for my job. Thank you, God, for financial provision. Thank you, God, for the food that I'm going to have on the table at lunchtime today. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, for my friends. Thank you, God, for my church. Thank you, God, for my school. Cultivate. It's a spiritual discipline. And when you're thinking about what to be thankful about, it's a lot harder to find things to criticize when you know you have to thank God for it. Thank God for my president. Thank God for my governor. Boy, they need wisdom. Lord, please give them wisdom. Um, So cultivate a thankful heart. Um, We saw this on... The video, 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you and me. Be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you and me in Christ Jesus. So James would say, be careful with your speech. Be careful with your attitude. We, We put ourselves up too high sometimes. We criticize others. We boast about what we can do, what we've done, who we are, what we've accomplished. Be careful and be thankful. Let's stand together and pray. Father in heaven, I just want to... Thank you for the book of James. Thank you for the reminders that James gives us. Sometimes we're not careful with our speech. And I pray that your Holy Spirit will cause us to be sensitive about our words, to be sensitive about what we think of others, what we say about others. God, cause us to be humble before you. Thank you that you've created us in your image as well as the people around us, as well as the people that we sometimes criticize. They're created in the image of God. Lord, may we not take your place. May we we not be self-appointed judges of other people. And may we not be boasting about who we are of what we've done, 
or what we plan to do. God, may we be humble before you as we think about the future and as we plan and as we go forward and acknowledge that apart from you, we can do nothing. And if we try it, we get into trouble and we do silly things. Lord, help us to cultivate a thankful heart, to be thankful about being children of God, to be thankful to know that our sins are forgiven because you love us, because Jesus died for us. Help us to encourage one another, to build up one another, and at times when we need to, to admonish one another, but to be gentle and to be loving. For Jesus' sake, I pray. Amen.